0: for him they're gonna go nuts when he hits this thing yesterday's price is not today's price Yo, yo, yo! Welcome in, golf fans. This is the Preferred Lines podcast. My name is Joe Idoni. At Tour Picks is the place that you can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter. Welcome into a golf gambling podcast where we are thrilled to have you this week. Uh, We are going to talk everything going on Ryder Cup-wise. We are going to talk my... um, diminishing value in Twitter (laughs) as a user. Uh, And we're going to go over the Sanderson Farms Championship this week as a new PGA Tour season has event number two on the fall swing schedule. I'm excited to do so. Sit back relax, crack open a beverage if you choose, and I hope that you enjoy the program. We're going to get started in just a second. Before we do so, I've got to mention the Fantasy Golf Pod. Shout out to them always being proud supporters of the show as I am of theirs. Make sure to check out their first look show, which is already out by the time you're watching this. They will have the Wednesday show as well, giving you sort of a last chance look at what they're thinking in terms of a DFS front fantasy golf pod at fantasy golf pod on Twitter. Make sure to give them a follow uh, as always. Merch is up on PreferredLines.com. A friendly reminder to uh, new listeners and those who have been here with me for a long time, that what you do right now means a generally a lot to me in terms of what I'm asking for is a like a subscribe. If you feel like you enjoy the show whatsoever, um, take time today to be grateful for life for family and um, for the ability to enjoy another day on earth and if you can spare three seconds for me to subscribe to the YouTube channel I would genuinely appreciate it without further ado bringing back onto the show one of my one of my best friends honestly in Twitter someone that I always lean on for opinions whether it be NFL or golf or Ryder Cup or anything back on the show for like his fourth time Luke what's up dude Big
1: Joe, thanks for having me again, man. It's uh it's always a pleasure. Like anytime you ask me, I don't even think twice. I don't check my calendar. I'm like, yeah, that's that's priority. I'm gonna be there. Um and yeah, man, super happy to be here. Uh, glad to have some like regular golf fun. The Ryder Cup is awesome. I think we all love the Ryder Cup, but um I also love just like regular seventy-two hole golf tournaments. So I'm excited, man.
0: Dude, I'm excited that you're excited. I'm excited that you're proud to be here. But are you disgruntled at all that I'm not paying you to be on the show tonight? Or are you just doing it for the love of the game?
1: Yeah, actually, I can't even believe I wore the Preferred Lines shirt. I should go change uh, because I I shouldn't be representing a a program that does not pay me to be here. Um, I need to be well compensated for my time. So you're right. Thank you for pointing that out to me.
0: As we know, yeah, it's a hot topic in the industry. So we spent the last two seventy-two hours over analyzing player paychecks, player performance, Hat Gate, Caddy Gate. Um, how are you feeling today about the Ryder Cup that just ensued, and an obviously uh, European Tour big time victory?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you and I both bet on on the United States. I think yes. part of that was you know we're betting on talent level that is, I think, unquestionably a more talented team, right? Yeah. Um, we're also betting patriotic, you know, we want, we want the U S to win, right? You want, it's fun to make bets on either teams or players or whatever that you like, right? Cause then if they win, you're happy on, on two fronts. Um, I think we both knew and, and pretty much everybody knew, you know, Europe was probably going to win. They always win or almost always win in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. It was a very much an uphill battle for the United States. Um, so, you know, not super surprising on the final result. I think it was a little bit closer than what, um, the final scores would, would, you know, would show you obviously, um, you know, in the end they won it pretty comfortably, but you know, they started out for nothing on us on, on Friday morning. Yeah. And then Friday afternoon, three matches went to 18 and the U S had a chance to win all three of those matches and didn't win a single in one. In our Um, so, so that that was huge, and then even despite that, you know, we get into singles and we get it down to the final three matches with Spieth leading by one with three holes to go, and uh, Clark and and Ricky trailing by one with three or four holes to go. So I mean, you know, if, if Tommy puts his ball in the water instead of Ricky, you know, that match is different. I think Shane like had a crazy, you know, he had a really nice chip on on sixteen and, and made a long par putt on seventeen. So I mean. That's that's but that's match play, right? You you have to expect yeah. your opponent to make the shot all, all at all the time, and and you the the European team made all the shots. We didn't we didn't really make a lot of shots, and so we didn't deserve to win. We didn't win. Um I don't know that I like am bummed out that the other narratives kind of took away from the golf. Right? There was a lot of stories that took away from the golf. I thought it was actually yeah. super entertaining. It is sad though that. There's, you know, I, I don't know what what truth there is to this, like, thing about the United States players not being, like, really into it. It doesn't seem like they are, right? Like, it seems like the European yeah. side, like, is playing because they love the European Ryder Cup team and the U.S. is playing because, like, they made it and so they have to play or something? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think you can have both. And I don't think they're ex- mutually exclusive. And what I mean is, like... I think you can have patriotism and I think you can have pride and want to play for that. And when you're in the midst of competition, that takes over, right? That's what we saw with Patrick Cantley. Like I think, was he annoyed that he was there and not getting what he felt like was fair compensation for doing so? Probably was he maybe annoyed with some of his teammates or how some of the selection process played out in terms of who was picked and who was matched up together that's possible. But once you play, once you're out there, once you're in that environment, it's like any other sport where your competitive nature takes over and you start giving it your all, giving it your absolute best in order to try and win. It's like every player on the NFL roster thinks that they're underpaid and wants more money and is playing for a contract, right? Or they ask, they're playing for that next contract. But when they're out there on Sunday in the middle of a third down, are they still playing for that contract? They're playing because they love the sport and their competitive juices take over at that point. Like I was, I'm apparently on the wrong side of this as I've been with every Ryder cup take that I've had over the past week. Um, But like, are we really going to begrudge athletes who have a skill that maybe one in 5 million people have, right? A skill trait that is specific and unique to this individual that very few people walking the earth have. Are we supposed to expect them to just be happy and grateful that they've earned a lot of money and to just do this because they want to? Um, I don't necessarily think so. I think that a lot of people are assuming maybe with the Xander thing that he's asking for like some outrageous figure of money, and I seriously doubt it's that. He probably wants something, and I think that they Deserve something. I talked about this earlier, like you look at the other sport comps that I would make of this, and this is not the Olympic Games, right? This is not that. Right. This is a sport competition, and it's more so like something like FIBA, where the US, Team USA goes over there and plays basketball. There's prize money for that. The players are compensated for that. Team USA soccer makes a ton of money to go play in the world cup. Each one of those team USA women's soccer players. I read made almost $800,000 to play in the last world cup per player team, team USA women's, even this like world baseball classic. They're, they're starting up. I looked up and those players made money for playing in it. They made money incrementally that went up the further that they went in that tournament. I don't think it's, totally like obscene to ask for something and we should be looking down on them for that. Um, am I wrong?
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're wrong, right? Like the money's there clearly. I mean, TV rights and all this stuff, like the money is there. I mean, there were so many, what did the gate, you know, do at that, at that event? Like god,
0: the merch you know, shop, like, god yeah,
1: like right. So the money's there. I, I understand that they they have some sort of like indirect compensation through like uh like the pension and you know they're probably getting paid by that's I, not I don't real to a twenty seven
0: year old kid though like I don't you know, give right, a fuck and- what you're gonna chip into my massive like PGA Tour players pension when I'm twenty seven years right. old like
1: I want I want to get paid uh, yeah I agree and, and so it's like the money's there these guys like you said are are at the pinnacle athletes of the sport there's a lot of money in golf as it is like it's not super crazy it's just it, it is unfortunate that like that became the big story during yes. the actual event right that's that's kind of a bummer um but you know i don't know man like you said about canalee and and when you're in the heat of the moment in the heat of battle like dude he, he showed up man he played great dude. he uh stole that match off of rory that that caused the whole joe Lacava blow up and the rory blow up in the parking lot and like yeah that kind of stuff was awesome. Like, I wish that the Ryder Cup was more like that. I wish it was more heated, but you know, these guys see each other all the time. Like Rory's boys with all those guys, like yeah. I'm sure all these guys are friends, you know, uh, 52 weeks of the year or 104 weeks of the two years, right. but the the one week where they're just not friends. I liked that there was some animosity. Uh, um, totally. it just made it fun, man. the Ryder Cup is, is awesome. Uh, I hope we win in Europe sometime yeah you know we're probably gonna absolutely boat racing at beth page uh, in a couple of years but yeah it's fun man i love the Ryder cup yeah
0: dude it is fun let's talk about the la thing for a minute and i guess so for me and maybe this dates i'm sure this dates back sooner than this but for me in terms of my golf fanhood and where i first remember this like outward Fuck you! Like expression of emotion from golfers was the Reed and Rory match, right? A few, exactly, my thought too. Yeah, like that's where this all started, and it's been so fun to see it evolve with different players since. And like, it gives the adrenaline boost that these type of events need when it's coming from the players in the moment. You're Print your lions right. Reed was a freaking lion then, and so was Rory, and they were going at it mano a mano, like masculinity turned up to an absolute max volume level, and it was freaking everything that the sport of golf needed. The, the The Kava thing is different for me. Like, you're not a part of the competition. You carry the clubs, you read a couple putts, you give some yardages, like know your role in that situation and stay out of it and i don't really agree with rory on anything but i do think he was right there to continue to carry on if it was cantlay if it was wyndham clark even in that moment like is being his partner i can understand it if it's members of team usa who played that day i can understand it the caddy thing takes it too far for me like knowing your role in a situation is everything and this is why People got mad at me earlier in the week because I said Wyndham Clark should have just shut up and know your role, Wyndham Clark, like in the same sense, like you aren't that you, you want a major, you haven't won four of them. You are not Rory McElroy. Like you, you can believe that in your brain, but even if you believe that, that's okay. Even if you do, you're wrong. Like, you, you're you factually, sure. you're not Rory Mack. Like, any, if you're being real in a situation, you understand that you two are not the same player. And when you go and you're overseas and you're talking to their media at the event and you know that you're not going to play all the matches and you're a rookie and you're probably not going to have a huge impact on the result – why say it why get into the clickbait it's the same thing it's like know your role in a situation and say less that's what Wyndham Clark should have did that's what Joe LaCava should have did and let your Lions do the talking and puff the chest and have the bravado and I'm all for that but in this situation I didn't like that either one of those two guys I think overstepped their role
1: yeah I mean as far as the Wyndham Clark thing right it's like dude, I, I, you, you have to believe that, right. If you want to be, that's the best okay. Ulcer, you have to believe you're right. It kind of reminds me of like the Abe answer thing at the president's cup a couple years ago, where he was like, I want tiger. And then he gets, and yeah. so gets waxed. Uh, yeah. kind of, it kind of had shades of that, but yeah, as far as Joe LaCava, like you're right. He's not really part of it, right. He's, he's so important to, uh, to Patrick Cantlay, right. And, and reading yeah. and Pleasant, whatever his experience is is important, but like that was not his moment and he kind of made it his moment. I definitely think Rory overreacted a little bit based on the video that I saw, like Rory could have walked past him and done nothing right. And mm-hmm. just went and read his putt. It wasn't like he had to step around him or anything like they were close, but like you're close to people on the greens all the time while you're like shuffling around, trying to get out of people's lines, walk around like that's a normal thing on the greens. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think Rory was pissed that he had choked the match away, not choked the match away that the match had been stolen yeah. from him essentially. Uh, so I think he was heated about that and he was looking for something to be even more heated about. And then I think it just kind of snowballed. But either way, like just absolute appointment television that it was so oh, the, good the, the a, parking lot like, like, scene, like,
0: the parking lot scene felt straight out of like Monday Night Raw backstage, yeah, right?
1: It felt stage And on on Twitter afterwards, like was the memes just the jokes. Like this is oh, like okay. the kind of moment where I was like, This is why I love Twitter. Like yeah. this is the best kind of moment for Twitter. But yeah, I mean, it de- yeah. definitely like Jolicov. It's not it's not about you, but
0: the other thing, I mean, I think most people. considered this thing that I said wrong as well, which is that I thought that Luke Donald made a mistake on Sunday with how he did his pairings. And I realized that um some more information came to me after, you know, it's funny, man, because like. I get emotional. Like I love team USA golf, right? I feel like this is a like, I look so much into this and you see something and I want to react to it. And I feel like, like I want to just instantaneously take my opinion on the subject. And I want to just like float it out there into the cloud and see what, and, but like, ultimately what happens is you end up in this space where you're getting a ton of backlash for it. And then you're having to defend it. And then I'm getting fired up and then people are chiming in and calling me an idiot or whatever it may be. And it ends up like, I should just probably know my role and keep my mouth shut. And the same thing that I said about Wyndham Clark, but at the same token, I do like, I want to defend myself. Like, I feel like I was, I was right. Everyone killed me on the Wyndham Clark thing. I feel like I was right there. I feel like I was right on the Luke Donald thing too. And then I do feel like it was a mistake. And if Scotty gets that fucking point, yeah. like those, last six matches are the only scenario when I can see that we were able to pull that off, which was the scenario that would have been on the plate if Scotty won that match. It's all the pressure flipped. It's the entire crowd is clinching buttholes. Not only the players, like you can feel the momentum. The board lights up red, and you realize that you've got Thomas. you've got Speeth, you've got Kepka. You've got proven guys down the stretch, and they're going against Nick Hogard and, Oberg and Bobby Mack. Like I, I just feel like that situation was plausible and was possible only given the way that those lineups were laid out based on having a four point lead there.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they ended up winning anyways. Right. So it's like, yes, it worked out. Okay. But Scotty makes birdie on 18 and you know, things things potentially could have been different we we talked about it while it was happening it was like wow all of a sudden the us did well enough in those first six matches yeah that if we take these final matches we win this thing and i mentioned (laughs) it a few minutes ago spieth was up one with three holes to go yeah like the the tommy ricky match was close the bobby mac wyndham clark matches were close and so i think our point that people may not have uh, you know i didn't i didn't read all your interactions i saw that you were people were coming after you know i was like Ugh. um but uh if you put some of your rookies up front and somebody steals a match right if you had bobby mack versus wyndham clark early and bobby wins that match all of a sudden then it's like okay now all we need is two or three yeah. from rory you know and, and and then it just turns into a complete bloodbath you know it's done midway through the day mm-hmm. and you know it's, it's no sweat whatsoever and and the way that it worked out it was ab- absolutely a sweat you know people yeah. will. will make it out to be that it was this huge runaway blowout. It really wasn't, man. It was down to the last three matches and the last three holes. It was like it came down to nine holes. And if the U.S. wins six of those nine instead of losing six of those nine, you know, we got the cup. But Spieth was in a good position.
0: I thought that Wyndham Clark was in a position where he should have won that match. I think he was the second biggest favorite on the whole U.S. Mm -hmm. team in an individual singles match that day. Um, I thought he would win that match. I, like he didn't, but I felt like that was an, a huge advantage for the US in that matchup. The only one that was yeah. bigger odds, I think, was Xander over Hojgaard.
1: Yeah. So, big, and, and, like, and then,
0: yeah. you know, Ricky was always kind of going to lose to Tommy, I think. Like I wasn't, right. I, I think people thought it was a shot at Tommy not being able to close. I always chalked that up as a loss. The wins that I thought we needed to get were Harmon over Hatton and I thought that Scotty needed to win. And if those two win and speed, you know, the things could have turned out very differently there.
1: Yeah. Hey, that's them's the brakes.
0: All right. Enough Ryder Cup. Let me do a little course preview here for Jackson and tell me if you got anything to add. Okay. Sanderson Farms Championship on tap this week. The country club of Jackson is a shortish par 72, like 7461 yards is what the scorecard is. Um, went Underwent in 2018, I believe, a gentle modernization, and it really didn't work, but they tried to make the greens a little smaller and lengthen the course a little bit. Um, they are smallish greens in terms of PGA Tour average, I would say. They're they're Bermuda grass. This course is totally flat. This course doesn't have a lot of problems off the tee in terms of um, wayward drives. You've got 29-yard wide fairways around the 300-yard marker, and as I can mention, like It looks a little tighter off the tee, but I don't think you have to worry a ton about big misses getting you into big troubles, assuming you can avoid, um, some of the trees historically, um, the ability to consistently hit fairways, I think is a bit diminished here. And this isn't just a cam champ take. It's like even Sam, Sam Burns doesn't hit fairways, right? Mac Hughes doesn't hit fairways. Like these guys who are going to hit 51% of fairways on the week are, are 100% in play here. Like, does Sergio hit a ton of fairies? Does Munoz? Like, these are the guys who have won this event. And I think overall, there's such a mixed bag in terms of players. Like, you can even go back to Ryan Armour, who's won here. I'm really going with a very, two reasons, right? I feel like there's a mixed skill set that can win here, and some of the player quotes have actually proven that. Like, Cam Champ, here's some player quotes that I wrote down from our boy Bamford's, like, preview. Cam Champ, I quote: "Obviously, driver is key out here." Next quote from Ryan Armour: "My strength is driving it in the fairway, and obviously, I figured that out finally." Then Sergio said, "Your short game has to be really good." Hughes and Burns quotes: "Where the greens are the best we play all year," and they talked about putting. They're great putters. Armor hits fairways. Cam champ hits it really long. So when your specific skill set that you have that is better than the rest of the field can kind of take over, of course, you're going to play well. So that's what I mean by I'm going with a very balanced model this week in terms of trying to look at everything, scoping things out a little long term more instead of some of the short term stuff that I was doing to end the season. And, and looking for guys that, you know, have that one unique skill set that's much better than everyone else and the ability to have some consistency sort of built in around that. Um, anything that you've seen that over the years that you would add there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Bermuda greens, like these are pure Bermuda, right? So if you're a good Bermuda putter and, and you have a big spike week, I think you're going to have a chance as long as you're not, you know, bleeding strokes tee to green. I think you're right that like, You don't necessarily have to be one type of player when Cam Champ and Ryan Armour are winning the same tournament. Like clearly, you know, different guys can win this. I don't think driving distance is going to hurt you here. I think because like you said, there's just not a lot of trouble. So if you're hitting shorter uh, wedges and irons into greens, better birdie looks, that kind of thing. I do, I do look at this one as a birdie fest type of a course. So guys who can go low, right. You're going to have to get to the low twenties. Yeah, there's not, not a whole lot else to it. I I do like the Bermuda angle though. Guys who just consistently perform well on, on these Bermuda tracks.
0: Yep, totally. Interestingly, sort of the uh the, the difficulty ranking is is not in the top half of terms of easiest courses on tour last year. At least it wasn't the year before it was the year before that it wasn't. But I do agree with your birdie sesh Birdie fest sort of analyzation there because you are going to like the guys who have won, you have to have like really low rounds. Like that scoring average is based on all the players who play the event, not necessarily the winning score. And when you look at like the guys who have won that I just mentioned, like in my brain, I classify these guys as like streaky scorers. Like I'm looking a ton at birdie or better rates because Sam Burns, like we just saw him against Rory. Like, His problem is consistency, but we know this guy can make birdies. Like he can turn very difficult holes into easy holes. He can give himself five feet for eagle on a par five. Sergio Garcia is a score. Sebastian Munoz goes super low all the time. Matt Hughes is even a score like these guys are guys who will go out there and can knock off six, seven, eight birdies in a round. And if everything else is able to click along with that, that's when they get the win. And that's the type of course profile that I think this sets up for.
1: Yeah. And the the one other thing I'll add to is there's four par fours, right? It's par 72. Or four four par fives. It's par 72. So, yeah, you got to make your hay on the par fives. Like, if you, you know, you kind of got to be looking at it as your four under every day minimum on the par fives.
0: Absolutely. Let's hit the board.
1: board.
0: Betting board this week for the Sanderson Farms. You have Ludwig. Ludwig. Oberg I think I got that right now it's not aberg right it's Oberg that threw, that threw
1: me for a loop on big on time loop,
0: like, what okay the, the kid is back the kid is not resting the yeah. kid is still hammered in Sicily somewhere with a bottle of uh with a Peroni and a couple more but he's gonna show up here apparently and he's 12 to one to win um right after him you have Eric Cole there You've got Steven Yeager both at twenty to one now. I know there were some twenty fives on Cole this morning. Grio is twenty five. Killa Keith is thirty. So you have six players there under thirty to one. Have you bet any of those guys, Mister Luke?
1: I haven't made any bets yet. My my books are uh, apparently sleeping this morning. They they slept in Monday morning, so I don't I have like odds that. yet. I'm I'm just I'm looking at DraftKings odds though, and and I mean it's hard to ignore Cole. Right. Yep. I mean, that's the guy who's, yeah, who's been playing really good golf basically all year. Um, he kind of seems like he's the class of this, this field. Um, you know, if you run any sort of model, I don't think he, I don't think you can have a model that doesn't have him up towards the top. Like, yeah. I think he's rightfully priced in that 20 to one range. Yes. So I almost certainly will end up uh, on him. The only other guy I'd be looking at in that range is, is potentially Grillo or, or Mitchell you know Mitchell being a bermuda guy and Grillo just kind of being a a very quality ball striker.
0: Yeah, totally. So I went with I went with Eric Cole. Um 20 to 1 is actually the number I got and I'm still okay with it. I missed the early 25s. He makes the most birdies in the field, man. Um and it's not even just like because he plays all the time that he's made the most, he's making the most birdies per event. So his birdie or better rate has been fantastic. He's the third best putter in the field also over the last 50 rounds. And like, I am trying Luke to like, I got to stop. I realized something that I was falling into and it's back to basics for me this season with betting. What I was falling into is knowing that I have this show that goes live Monday night. Right. And I feel like I have to make a case for something Different, because this is a show for entertainment, right? So I see so and so took Eric Cole, and this guy took Eric Cole, and I see him pop up on Twitter all throughout the early morning Monday at twenty-five to one and twenty to one, and there's six different guys who give picks on Twitter all on Eric Cole. Well, I've got to do a show after all this, right? So I'm not going to tweet it out early Monday morning that I took Eric Cole. I've got to wait till nine o'clock to give some sort of value for those who are willing to watch the show. So then I pivot. Right. I was pivoting. I'm like, I got to make a case. I want to do something different. Like I can't just tail like everyone's going to think I'm just tailing all these guys picks. I have to stop this. Eric Cole is my guy. Um, I knew it as soon as the odds board came out that I was going to want him here because I really think that he has the most motivation going into this fall swing because I think he's the most deserving guy that's going to consistently play these events that is not currently in like whatever they're calling this series if they're still calling them elevated or whatever they are next year right i think he really wants to be there i think that he should be there and i think that he's carrying in the best form look he he did not play well here last year he lost 7.4 T to green i don't know what happened that seems like an anomaly giving his stat profiles and it could have been a couple of balls in the water but I know that that same tee to green stat, he gained over 12 strokes on at the Fortinet like two weeks ago. Um, must big time prove it's false swing for Eric Cole. I took the 20 to one and I'm OK hopping aboard the bandwagon with a bunch of others. Finally,
1: I'm glad you say that because, you know, Twitter has this effect. I, I've on a couple of occasions, like considered not tweeting my picks anymore, not like looking at Twitter picks anymore. Because I do that same thing where it's like, okay. all right, well, everybody's on this guy. Like now I'm going to look like I'm, you know, just just following with what everybody else did rather than right. I actually put in the work and came up with this guy as well. You know, we're all looking at the same stat database. Yeah, we're going
0: to end up on the same guy a lot.
1: Uh, absolutely. And it's like, I mean, the best example most recently that I can think of was Ricky at the the Rocket Mortgage, right? It's like everybody was on him. The price wasn't great, but at the sh- you know everything was pointing to Ricky. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do Justin Thomas instead. And I'm going to be a genius when Justin Thomas wins instead of Ricky. Exactly. And that happens. Justin Thomas was terrible and Ricky wins. So I'm I'm trying to get uh, better at that as well. And so yeah. I'm just going to ignore the noise. And I'm going to go with the guy who I think is going to win in Eric Cole as well. you are yep. You've convinced me.
0: Love it. So this next range, you've got Sh Kim at thirty-three to one. Uh, Spenson is there at forty. Hostler forty. Lucas Herbert is forty to one. Kh Lee is forty-five. Lee Hodges forty-five. Alex Smalley fifty. Griffin is there at fifty. Thompson, Gim, Talum. There's a big group of players here, sort of congregating in this thirty to fifty-one to thirty to fifty to one range. Um, are there any that have your attention that you are specifically looking to target this
1: week? The one guy, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to bet Garrick Higgo and he had a, I think he finished third here last year. So I'll probably go back to Higgo. Um, you know, he's a guy who I think is really, really talented and he won obviously like immediately on the PGA tour and then kind of fell off. He's shown some flashes, um, over the last, you know, six months or so. So I'm going to go there. And then the other one is, uh, Sam Ryder. I, I, I like Sam Ryder a lot. He, he, profiles out really well in my model you know his, his approach game his iron game is excellent he's a really good Bermuda putter and I think that's you know that's the key if you can hit the ball close and you can put it really well on these greens like yeah sign me up and he's actually yeah. a guy who, who had some flashes last year and some kind of big events so I think he's a guy who in a, a field like this can come through
0: absolutely yeah Ryder is an interesting one for me that um I had him at the Fortinet at a bigger price so I should be into him here. I have some room still on the card. Full card I will put out Wednesday, so he'd be the guy that might end up on there if his price continues to stay in this range. Uh, but for me in this range I went I went back to my boys Fence in at 40 to 1. Look, he got How it back. Mind? He got it back to end last season and by it mm-hmm. I mean his approach play. That is his strength. What I talked about earlier in this course sets up great for players like Sergio when his iron play is going great cam champ when he's driving it relatively straight Um, burns when he's putting it really well like when player strengths are accentuated during a week that's when they win here. And his approach play is back. And that is 100% yeah. his strength. Uh, Four straight weeks gaining at least 2.5 on approach to end the season. That's him. Like he's starting to finish better. 37th at the 3M, 7th at the Wyndham, 37th at the St. Jude, and then a 15th at the BMW Championship. This is sneaky, very similar lead in form last fall swing to when he won because what happened is there he won he gained with his approach in five of six events his iron play really started to click and then what happened all of a sudden this guy fucking gains eight strokes putting one week to go with that iron play and he pops off a win at the rsm open um, this is a very similar setup for me in terms of a weak field, an event that should set up to his strength, Bermuda Grass Greens, like everything kind of lines up for me. Uh, so I'm gonna go to my guy to get another victory here, 40 to 1.
1: Yeah. Svenson's a guy who has the ability to spike on putting too, right? So if you know that the totally. approach play is gonna be good, it's just a matter of can he can he spike it on the putting. So I I I thought you might be going there. He was somebody I'd been looking at too. So yeah, that's a good call.
0: All right, this next range here um right after 50 to one you mentioned riders right there davis riley's 55 buckley's 55 list 55 um lynn times 55 stevens 55 hoagie woo kevin Yu, akshay batia i'll tell you who i went i went with dylan woo Um, just a guy who flies up my model in terms of birdie or better ranks. He's also top 10 in the field in greens and regulation recently. He makes a ton of putts in bunches. Um, he's a good approach player. He's fourth in putting over the last 50 rounds. Bermuda grass surfaces are his highest performing, grass type for someone like Dylan Wu and and top 15 finishes in two of his last three tournaments, including his first ever PGA tour top five at the three M open the three M weirdly, I think share some similarities here in terms of yardage in terms of how important par five scoring is like the fairway 300 yards are almost exactly the same. I think the three M open is 30 yards wide. This is 29 yards wide. Um, keep it within those parameters. And I think this guy should set up pretty well. I took him at 55 to one.
1: Yep. Wu is, Wu will be on my card. Most definitely. He came out first in the, in the model that I ran. Nice. Uh, he's a guy who he gets crazy hot. Like when he, he's so streaky and when he's on, like you just kind of be watching the leaderboard and all of a sudden you're like, wow, is this dude ever going to make a par again? Like just making only birdies. So uh, love me some Dylan Wu. and then the other guy in this range that I'm I'm looking at um, is Tom Hoagie. I know We're, we might be sleeping on him. You're yeah, not. I mean, it's like he's in a he's in a group of names here that he is in a class above, right? Like right. he's just a better player than these guys. Um, I mean, you're you naming guys like Lindheim, you know, in the same breath was, as yeah. Hoagie. Yeah, exactly. Like it, Tom Hoagie's like a real dude. Um, one of the very few who, I I don't know how many guys in this, uh, field, I'd have to, you know, spend five seconds looking at it, but not a lot of guys in this field played as deep as the BMW, right? I mean, Hoagie was 43rd at the FedEx and 21st at the BMW. I mean, he's, he's a guy who like was, was fighting to get into the tour championship. Um, Right. And, you know, a third of the players last year, a third of the century last year, (laughs) I mean. Tom Hoagie's a, a he's a player, and what I always liked about Hoagie before he actually won was like you would see him in these alternate field events, these just pure birdie fest events, just going stupid low, just a sick number of birdies. Um, so I, I I'm gonna be on Hoagie and hope that um, you know he's been he's been grinding the last month or two, and he's ready to come out and, and just get after it.
0: I like that pick. How about a long shot for me? Give me a guy like 70 to one and above on the board, uh, a player that you, you kind of got your eyes on.
1: Yeah, there's a couple that I am am kind of looking at. One would be Carson Young. Um, mm-hmm. Carson Young is a guy who can make a ton of birdies and is kind of a guy who I've got pegged as like a uh, up and coming, you know, potential stud in the future. CT Pan is another one. The Panimal is, uh, He's, I, he's healthy now, right? He missed most of last season with an injury, and, and before that, you know, we'd seen him win some, like, fairly respectable events. I think he won the RBC Heritage, and, um, you know, he's a, he's a player. Uh, deeper than that, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to go much deeper than that. It, it gets pretty ugly down here.
0: Yeah, it does get pretty ugly down there. Two guys and I think I'm going to I think I have one more that I'm going to save for the card, but two guys I'll tell you right now that I took at 70 and 80 to 1. Um 70 to 1 I took Nick Hardy. So interestingly, this has been the place where he had his best performance of his career with his irons. I think he gained 7.4 strokes on approach last year at this event. He's never really gained within two and a half strokes on approach in an event like he did last year. Now, is that going to carry over? That, as we know, is completely unlikely. That said, that has to give you some sort of confidence that when you show up back to the same golf course, you can feel good about knowing that you hit Really, really striped your irons here the last time you played there. It's just natural for me to feel like he has to have some additional confidence heading into this week. Uh, not to mention he made six of his last eight cuts last season. 13th at the 3M Open, top 20 at the John Deere, and the guy finished top 20 at the U.S. Open. Um, he's not a bad player, and he makes a ton of birdies as well in birdie or better rates. The other one at 80-1 to 1 is, is Peter Quest um longest guy in the field so i mentioned you have to have a unique skill set i believe and the ability to capitalize when that skill set goes right he's got a full this dude's got a full 20 to 25 on the average player out there like he is long as shit and he's in the top 20 of the field in birdies per event um he's above average putter and bermuda grass is also his best surface early in his career a 4th at the Rocket Mortgage a 17th at the John Deere sort of relatively open, not penalizing places where you can send driver and try to go out there and shoot really low scores. So those are the two that I think I like the best in this sort of 70 to 80 to one part of the odds board.
1: Yeah. Peter quest is third in my model. So you're on let's go, baby.
0: All right, dude, anything else you got going on? Or are you ready to get out of here?
1: Hey man. Uh, I think, I think we knocked it out of the park. I think that was good. Was, Good luck. We're both in the some... circa
0: this year contest, which we yeah. should mention both Luke and yeah. I have have pretty decent we're, we're, we're not there, but we we're not out of it. We're not out of it through no, four weeks. We're not um, Luke posted another winning week this week. He's right in it. I need the Seahawks here in a couple of minutes to go three and two for the week. So uh, we'll keep communicating on that front. Good luck to you yeah. in the circa. Good luck to you in life, my man. And And thank you, as always, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you.
1: Hey, anytime, bud, you're the man. Uh, I, I would, I would jump over mountains and uh, you know, all that stuff to be on a show with you any day. So thanks for having me. Uh, I'll I'll tune into the later part when you post it online and uh, have a good rest of your show, bud.
0: Thanks bud. See you soon.
1: Later. All
0: right, good man there to join me as I mentioned one of my the most like genuine people that I've have found on this space. So, happy to be joined by Luke as always. All right, we're going to do a quick final thoughts and then uh we'll go ahead and get out of here. So, here's final thoughts for this week, right? Man, guys, I'm in the midst right now of a dark, twisted, toxic spot. Um, in the algorithm. And I only have myself to blame. I got to take some accountability here. And the first step to clawing yourself out of this hole is some acceptance that maybe I put myself here. And like anything else, you often reap what you sow on um, social media, particularly X, formerly known as Twitter. And I have so, I looked and tried to take some onus upon this, and I have regrettably found myself putting up less and less like positive, uplifting, just overly positive posts, right? And more within this, I don't, I'm not going to call them negative posts, but they're within this orb of controversy, right? That the orb contains other elements that are often going to come in and attack you. And, and you see what happens on the internet and in the real world and on social media more than anyone anywhere else in the world. In the year 2023, they feed you what you want to eat. Not what you like to eat. They feed you what you actually eat. Um, for instance... On another app, I found myself. I don't know why. I have no clue why, but I find myself keep getting sent these chiropractic videos. And I'm not even like, I'm not anti chiropractor. I've been to a chiropractor a few times, I don't go very often. Um, I don't know why I watch this shit. I don't like it. I don't actually like these videos, but I watch it. I'm not into ASMR or some other BS, but I fucking watch it, bro. Um, so you know what they feed me? They feed me what I eat and I eat chiropractic videos. So they're going to keep feeding me this stuff. And Twitter is not the place, as I mentioned when I was talking to Luke, to just go out there and throw up an imaginary opinion into space and it's gone like a thought, like a thought that you may have. It appears you let it out. It's gone. That shit lives. And the hotter the take that you may have, the more that they push this out to people who will eat that content, people who will fire back and people whose algorithm is filled with stuff that is intentionally there to trigger a response out of them because they are the ones most likely to be triggered by it. Um These are the people who incite riots on Twitter. They love the negativity. They swim in it. And I have found myself putting up posts that will appear at the top of their feed. So I get what I deserve. Um, The second they know that something I said will piss this guy off, like here it is, friend, eat it. Like they're gonna serve it to you. And I'm not talking about arguing takes with people that I consider to be my friends on Twitter. I'm more than happy to go back and forth and be right and be wrong about stuff, but express myself and they're doing it in a respectful way. I'm talking about the sick people that think it's cool to fire off and call you a worthless, lazy American idiot that have no idea who you are. And I don't even know if they're real people, but when I fire back at Timmy two nuts who called me an idiot, now your boy is swimming in the muck too. Um, And when you eat it, When you eat what they serve, guess what's for dinner tomorrow also? You get stuck in this perpetual wheel of this bullshit, and you get sucked in. And there's potholes all around you on the road, and you're likely going to hit some of them, but... When you're aware of the potholes and you're aware of where they are, you can do a better job of keeping the tires clean. And now this is me accepting awareness for where I put myself and I have to be better. I have to be okay with posting and ghosting and not living in the comments section because it's not healthy for my own mentality. It's not a great place for me to be in terms of being a decent father and husband to my family. And this is me trying to take some accountability and be better. You all are better people than me. And hopefully, you are more enlightened about the Sanderson Farms for joining me and taking some time out of your week, which I am extremely forever grateful for uh, to listen to me talk about my life and golf and spew my stuff out here on a YouTube page. Be great this week. Let's hit a winner. As always, a like, a sub. Telling a friend goes a hell of a long way. This has been the Preferred Lines Podcast. I genuinely hope that you enjoyed it and have yourself a wonderful week on Earth. Um, Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys soon. I'm out of here. Until next time, peace out, fam.